This is Like Dragons Today Fight audio series. I'm Karen Broadhead with Life Changing Services, and I am here with James. James, you're involved in the Metamoroni program, and I'm excited for you to, to share your journey with us. Tell us a little bit about you. What would you like to hear? <laughs> what, what makes you awesome? Tell us a little bit about your about your hobbies or your interests, things that you're involved in, things like that. Okay, sure, yeah. So a little bit about myself. First things first, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm getting married in a month, so that's uh, exciting for me. <laughs> Love my fiance. She's great, very supportive, very wonderful. Found the right one for sure. In terms of things that I like to do, I am a big uh, triathlete. For those who don't know what a triathlon is, it's a uh, swim, a bike, and then a run, all done in succession. And I've done a few uh, full Ironmans and a bunch of half Ironmans and a bunch of local distance races as well. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my big hobby, something that I really like to do. Wow, that's awesome. That is great. And let's see, how, how did you meet your fiancé? We met at a group trip headed to Nauvoo. I lived in the Bay Area for a while, and it was put on by the Stanford YSA Institute uh-huh. down there. And I, uh, true to form, typical for me, I said some dumb joke about something, and she was in line of getting onto the airplane, and then she laughed. And I turned around, we introduced ourselves, and then uh, we uh, we found out we sat, so we're sitting next to each other, and yeah, the rest is history. So it is about a year and a half and we're getting married now oh that's excellent congratulations on that thank you can you tell me a little bit about your journey to recovery when did you notice how old were you and you noticed hey i this is an issue for me just kind of your backstory before you found the resource at life versus <laughs> men okay cool yeah my story is, I would say, rather typical. I I was exposed to pornography at a younger age. My teenage years, uh, struggled with it then, got under control from my mission, had an incredible two years. And then when I came back, uh, I struggled with it some more. And it was a very, very gradual downhill process where I would have periods of sobriety and periods of uh, you know non-sobriety. And then it sort of spiraled lower and lower until uh, I realized that I cannot do this by myself, which I, I then enrolled in the LDS 12-step program and a few other programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did the, I did, yeah, I, I, I did a few programs and, and that actually, uh, I guess they, they helped a little bit, but I, they didn't, I feel like, I didn't feel like they were fixing the underlying issue. And so Eventually, I, you know, I was just a nutrition number from those uh, programs and didn't end up finishing them or anything like that. And I, it wasn't until I was living in the, living in the Bay Area and uh, having, I had my dream job. I was living in an incredible city. Uh, everything was going great for me. You know, I had, I had friends and stuff like that, except I just found myself, you know, uh, steeped in addiction and having a sense of profound, profound, hollowness, emptiness, and uh, distance from, from, from the Spirit of God. And so that, I guess my, that was my rock bottom when I, when I realized that uh, I 
was becoming someone that was probably going to leave the church at some point in time. And I didn't want that. And so uh, my brother, who was also in this program, uh, an incredible strength to me, he suggested this program. And when I heard of, when I heard the name of it, when I heard sort of like the philosophy behind it and some of the jargon and things like that, that, that the Men and Life program uses, I, I, I laughed at the scorn. I thought it was the silliest thing I've ever heard of. And, uh, but my brother was persistent and uh, he had me join. And so uh, I started and, I, and then, I, and then I realized this is exactly what I was looking for. Like that the root cause was something that they talk about in the, in the like dragons that they fight book where Maurice, who's the head of the pet of the life teaching services, as, as you may know, he, he says in the book, he says that it would be ridiculous for us to think that this battle is between our spirit selves and our body selves. There are no other intelligent participants. And that was like a uh, light bulb went on in my head. I realized like, oh, that makes total sense. That makes sense why I don't want to do this, but I find myself continually sort of, sort of compulsed and sort of uh, led or sort of dragged to do this sometimes. That this isn't just between like, my body self and my spirit self, but there's another unseen participant, unseen force that's actually aiding this, this to happen, saying things in my own, in my own mind and in my own voice and my own inner voice. And so that, that was a, that was a huge eye opener for me. And I started, I started realizing like, I know, I actually know who, who to fight now, you know, instead of, instead of fighting myself and beating myself up, I now, I, I now then know, knew who to fight. And that, then that made all the difference for me. Wow. So your brother told you about Mineronite. Correct, yeah. Your brother told you about Mineronite. What, what was it that your brother said as far as the lingo that just was like, that's kind of weird. What are you guys talking well, about? Well, yeah, I mean, just the, just the whole concept of, uh, of like a battle and, uh, you know, manpower and drills and flagpoles and, you know, um, Mr. P and Mr. M and then, you know, all, all, all the, all this kind of jargon we have. I was like, I'm not, I'm not in like junior high. I don't, I don't need like mnemonic devices to help me remember these things, but it's incredibly helpful because it, uh, it takes uh, a lot of abstract concepts and brings it down into a universal language so that everyone can talk about the exact same thing accurately. And that's the thing that was most, helpful for with all that jargon stuff that I eventually ended up <laughs> accepting as something that I could deal with. So, yeah. Well, and it's, it was so much easier for me when my son was in the sense of healing program. It was so much easier for me to see why that was so critical for the same reason that you realized when I realized as a woman, as a mother, that we have this enemy and it's not just my spirit and my, body struggling with self-mastery or watching my son do the same thing that there's really a demonic entity that is very very intent on destroying our freedom and that made so much more sense to me that it was like waking up this kind of a warrior mentality exactly precisely yeah i felt the same way so you mentioned that you had, you uh, aren't currently a Menoroni mentor, but you have been a, a mentor in Menoroni. Mm-hmm. Yeah, several times. I really enjoyed it. And what brought what brought you to do that? And what what does it take to be a mentor in Menoroni? <laughs> Good question. 
I think that's a, that's a good question. And I would say that the same the same um, traits that uh, that we look for in a in a mentor are, are the traits that often people look for in in any leadership in in the church. And uh, I'm in the elders court presidency in my singles ward, and in the elders court president today, we were just doing home teaching uh, before this and kind of getting the whole teaching numbers and stuff like that uh, all compiled and figuring out companionships and stuff like that. We started talking about. Uh, he's getting married and I'm getting married. And so the whole presidency is standing. And we were talking about what makes a good, you know, what makes a good candidate for, for like an elder court president. Cause you know, the bishop and the state president are going to have to choose someone new. And, and we're, and we both decided, honestly, you just, you just show up, you just show up and you just be, you just, you just be consistent. And, uh, and like, that's, it's much easier said than done. Showing up and being consistent takes a different mentality than most people have where like where where they 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 want to be there, you know, they're and they're not begrudging and they're and they're not reluctant and and and, and they want to be there. And that uh, that shows a little bit of like uh, commitment, a little bit of tenacity to, to the Lord. And I think in along the same vein, that also makes a good good mentor and 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 uh, ultimately a good leader is like consistency and just showing up and being there. And so that, that's basically what I did. I just, I just showed up. I, I, I became invested in the program. Um, I had my 84 days, Friday, 28 days of, uh, of uh, consistent manpower. And then they said, hey, would you like to be a mentor? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. at that point in time, I had shown up and I, I was interested in the, in the program. And uh, yeah, so that, yeah, the rest is history. I, I really enjoyed being a mentor. Not currently one now, but uh, I, I, I can imagine myself being one in the next next month or two. So, yeah. So what have you noticed in being a mentor and also in being involved, you know, in the YSA culture and community and in, a, in the leadership in a YSA ward? What mm-hmm. have you noticed as far as just this issue, the, the issue that young men and young women are facing and how pornography and the effects of it have affected just all of, all the YSA. I, it's one thing I've just noticed. Right. Yeah. It's really a relationship thing. That's, it's, it's just so interesting to notice. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is something I've, I've thought about a lot because it comes as no surprise to anyone that this is a very pernicious and widespread issue within, within the church and especially within uh, the YSA community because, you know, I'm, I'm right smack up in the middle of the generation that grew up, like, you know, weaned on the internet, right? And so I think my parents uh, were, were not altogether uh, knowledgeable of, like, what, you know, what the, what the internet could do. They didn't know what just leaving an unattended computer with a wide, app, wide open access to the internet could do to a person. And so we had this sort of untreated secret illness for, for a long time. And I think a lot of people my age uh, ha- have that and it's become even worse now. And so I think, yeah, yeah some definite re-education needs to happen. I think it's already starting to happen. But the effects of that, the effects of addiction to pornography are uh, are crazy. and the most telltale signs is just a, uh, a, a low sense of self-esteem, you know, 
Because mm-hmm. as soon as one acts out and as soon as one, you know, uh, gives in to uh, his or her addiction, Satan, the adversary, will take that opportunity to tell yourself in your own voice that you are so pathetic. I can't believe you did this. You know, we are worth absolutely nothing. If, like, if you were a good person, you wouldn't have done that. You really shouldn't go to church anymore. God doesn't want to hear you pray. He doesn't want to hear from you. Yeah, he's abandoned you because, because you're a horrible person. And that's just that's a, a sampling of a, of a large list of lies that Satan can tell you after you act out. And so I think a lot of people end up believing these lies. They end up believing them. They end up, they end up internalizing them. And so they're actually almost saying it to themselves, you know, as some sort of like, like demented mantra. They're like, oh, yes, I'm horrible. Yeah, I got to do this thing because I'm a bad person and this and that. And so I see that a lot. I, I can, you can almost like see it in people's eyes. Like I, I don't like myself and uh, I, it's very, very interesting. And uh, this happens, of course, with tongues, guys, and less so with girls, but you, you can just kind of, kind of tell that these people are, are yearning for something, but they're also bound by this addiction at the same time. And so the effects of it, one, depression and, uh, and low self-esteem, two, just a very warped idea of uh, of what of what love is about what intimacy is and about uh, about what what beauty is and what a normal relationship is and what a uh, reciprocating in a relationship is and uh, we, which is exactly what uh, what Satan wants he wants to take he wants to take anything that's good in his life and like slightly warp it that's his that's his uh, modus operandi as far as I can see it is that he takes things. And then he just warps him a little bit. He counterfeits a little bit. His plan of salvation was the counterfeit of the real plan of salvation, you know? And so everything, everything he has, he warps a little bit. So he takes intimacy, uh, which is good, and he warps a little bit until it's unrecognizable from the actual good thing from which it stemmed from. And so, yeah, in short, that was a long uh, list of things, but low self-esteem, and then they don't have the spirit, and so they... They're more susceptible to lies about the church and stuff like that. And then, like I just mentioned, a very warped perception of what intimacy and what uh, and what a normal uh, relationship with with the opposite sex is. Right. From what I've seen. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm involved on the a board of a great organization that is started from people down in the Provo area, BYU, UV. It's called Reach 10, and their whole purpose of this organization is to create a broader awareness for the YSA community about how pornography has affected relationships and how difficult it makes it to navigate relationships and make good connections because nobody really knows how to talk about how to approach the subject in a way that's healthy and transparent. Cause if you're the right, if you're the person that's working on recovery and you tell someone it's like you're committing social suicide because then it spreads. Yeah. And if because you become a, you become a social pariah, it seems yeah. like, or at least that's the way it feels. Yeah. And, and then if you're someone who like if you're a young woman, you think, well, I don't know if I can trust that any guy I'm dating is okay or not okay, and I don't really know how to ask the right questions or whether I'm getting the right answer, you know? Right. And of course. So, anyway, did you notice that? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I have noticed that it's a, it's sort of taboo to talk about and it's skirted around lessons and, and, you know, and lessons about this and bishops, they don't really know how to handle it as well as they should. Cause you know, they don't have formal training on you know, like a therapy basis and, right. so, and it, it makes sense. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's difficult to change the overarching attitude or the zeitgeist of this subject in the church. But I think it is happening. I think it will continue to improve. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Well, I know that people listening to this, because I'm excited that, that you're here, James, because you're the first YSA guy that I have interviewed. And I know there are going to be people and they're thinking, well, how? How did he get such a perfect girl and navigate that whole situation? How did he do that? What would you say? What, yeah. What, what, how did you do that? Yeah. So this brings me to a topic that I'm really, really passionate about. And it's about, it's about becoming, becoming someone, becoming the person that you want to be. And so before I answer the question about how I got my fiance, <laughs> Uh, I, I'd like to just say that, that this program is just a tool set. That's all it is. It's just a tool set. It's a set of like, it's a way of thinking and a sort of a way of life that allows you to more accurately and more completely access the atonement of Jesus Christ in your life, which actually does the real healing and the real reparative and restorative actions. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I know that that is true that if we follow this program, we will almost stumble into accessing the atonement because accessing the atonement is, is only controlled on principles of righteousness yeah. um, and principles of repentance. And yeah, and so that's the, that's the cool thing about this program. It's just a very efficient tool set to get one who is addicted to, to these things, uh, to, to pornography and masturbation and, uh, and sex addiction and stuff like that to a point where they can now access the atonement. And so... With that, how I met my fiance, I had been doing the program for about for about six months at that point in time, uh-huh. and from multiple people, from multiple sources, uh, people have said, "James, you just look different. Your posture's better. You know, you get a haircut. Something, yeah, you know, something's different." And it's because for the first time in a long time, truly, holy my entire body was filled with light. I had been studying the scriptures deeply and like feasting upon the words of Christ better than I ever had before. I've been, I've been more contemplative and more uh, meditative about the scriptures in my journaling that, uh, that is required for the program. I've been more introspective in, in writing a letter to God or a letter to my future spouse every night. And so, and I, I am deeply, deeply grateful for this. This is nothing I have done uh, myself, but I, I was able to access the atonement in a more full and complete way, maybe in a more full and complete way I'd ever had done besides my mission. Right. And so girls, women in general, are very good at uh, at seeing this, you know? <laughs> and um, I, I think everyone, in, in some sense, but it seems like women are a little bit better at this, if I may generalize. And she she just said, like, I just, I was just different. I just, I just emanated light. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was very attracted to that. I'm a pretty top of the bell curve guy in terms of uh, in terms of physical attractiveness. <laughs> Nothing crazy special to look at, but I had a lot of light, 
And that's what uh, was attractive to her. And so I'm really grateful for that. And on a really warm night in Illinois, on the in Nauvoo, staying at like the Nauvoo Inn, her and I were just sitting on top of the balcony talking about things. I held her hand for the first time. We were watching fireflies at night. It was beautiful. It was really magical, romantic moment. And I told her, I told her, I said, this is, this is the best I've ever been. I'm glad I met you at the best I've ever been. Wow. And she was really appreciative of that. That at that point in time, I, I was the best I'd ever been. I'm not, I'm now better than I was. I, I've learned more. I've had more experiences. I've, I've deepened my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But I, the way I got my fiance was not some one weird trick or something like that. It was, it was that I, I had become a person that was worthy of her. That was her same level. That was a help me for her. And of that, I am incredibly grateful for. That's amazing. Wow. And what was her response when she realized that you'd struggled with an addiction to pornography? It was uh, a response of both surprise and unsurprise. Surprise being that like, oh, like this guy just seems great. I can't believe he ever struggled with this. Yeah. Or, or even continues to struggle with it, right? Because, because I was so unlike every other guy who was struggling with it, or just sort of given up, or sort of like in a holding pattern. And then unsurprised being like every guy she's ever dated has had this problem, which is really like horrible to think about. And I'm like really sorry that she had to go through that. But yeah, every guy she ever dated, every guy she's ever dated, both of us are in our 30s, every guy she ever dated had this problem. Yeah. So. Oh. She probably noticed that you, you knew how to access the atonement. You also knew how to defend yourself from the adversary. Yeah. No, yeah, she, I, I think, I think it was a little bit of reticence at first, because uh, she, she was just surprised that I had ever dealt with this. But as I explained the program, as I like, sort of, for lack of a better term, bore my testimony of the program and how it works and stuff like that, she realized that like, as as the scriptures say, there was a mighty change wrought in my heart. Like she, I had become someone different, someone better than I was before. And so it, it honestly didn't take that much, like you know, rhetoric or her convincing. She just could, she could just tell. She could just tell, and that that made all the difference. Yeah, you know what? I've often told my my daughter because she's she's familiar with young men who graduate from the Sons of Healing program, and I've often told her, if you marry one of these young men with this ring, I will be so glad. I'll be just so glad because they get it. They get it, and they they really will know how to win for the long term and what it means to really man up and defend who you are as Heavenly Father's daughter. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, so anyway, I just have told her I will always be impressed with these young men. So if you ever want to marry one of these guys with a ring, I'd just be so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, this program definitely does give you, like I said, a very good tool set to navigate any of Satan's lies. Yeah. It, it, it just kind of beefs up your spirit of discernment, which is like a, a spiritual gift that's often talked about. and the New Testament and the Doctrine and Covenants. It, just, it helps, you, helps you with that, where you can like, hey, wait a minute, that's a lie. Satan, get out of here. You're an idiot. And just, and just kind of deal with that in a, on a much more efficient basis. Right. So good. Yeah, so 
just thinking of shame and how that affects us. And you mentioned how. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's something I didn't mention, but I should have for sure. Go for it. Yeah. So, oh, man, I thought a lot about this. And I kind of skirted around it without actually ever mentioning it. But like shame is probably one of the one of the biggest thing where where we just feel so horrible, so bad, bad for ourselves and uh, uh, about about being steeped in this addiction. And until this uh, I got in this program, I didn't realize that there's a huge difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is a, is a Christ-like attribute almost. It, 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 it's an enabling feeling. It, it brings us closer to God once we've, once, well, once we've sinned or made a mistake. So it, it wants to make reparation. It wants to make atonement. Um, whereas shame is a disabling feeling. It wants to hide. It wants to run away. It wants to, wants to cover things up. It wants to bottle things up and fester. And so guilt is from God. Guilt is a, an attribute that we all have that, uh, that is from God. And shame is, is from the adversary. He wants us to feel shame. He wants us to feel like what we've done is that's it. You know, we're, we're, we're inexorably lost now. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it. And so unfortunately, what happens, especially with addiction, because it's so cyclical, and to just kind of this, this merry-go-round of shame where like, oh, look what you've done. You, you'll never be able to get better. And then you try and then, and then you fail again. And then Satan tells you, look what you've done. You'll never be able to get better. And so you just end up accepting the fact that you're, you are a horrible person, which is a lie. Yeah. And you have all this shame, this disabling like mountain of, uh, of shame that's on your shoulders all the time. James, I'm just wondering... How would you say that this program has just, as you've applied these principles, what has it helped you to become? Yeah, it's, it's helped me to become a, a man of God. And it's helped me to become the man that I know I am supposed to be. I still make mistakes every day. I still have uh, little mini lost battles every day. Um, it might not be with uh, pornography or masturbation, but I still have lost battles every day where where I don't I don't live up to what I want to. But it's helped me to become a man of God and a man that uh, that God um, knows He can trust to get things done in His kingdom. I think every man has this innate sense, whether it's <laughs> and it can be stronger, it can be. A little, a little more mellow, but have they have this innate sense where they want to uh, protect, provide, and and preside, and those are God-given traits. And I feel like that this program has helped me become someone where uh, where I can protect and provide and preside in a righteous manner. Help me become more of a man in in all of the positive sense, and not of the negative sort of media-filled senses that you see so often. And it, it helped me to become a lot more compassionate, a lot more forgiving, a lot more understanding. Because I, <laughs> I see someone steeped in any addiction, whether it be a food addiction or this addiction or drugs or whatever. And I, there's no way that I'll ever judge them because I, I can't, because <laughs> I've been them, you know, I've been them. It's a different substance, but I've been them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the compassion that I've been given. I'm grateful for the access to the atonement that I've, I've been able to afford by working through this program. Excellent. Well, James, before we end, what is it that you would want to say to young men or just men in general about if they're in a dark place and have tried and failed and tried and failed, 
or even even young women, um, if you have a message for them, just is what would you like to say in closing to testify, and then just be thinking, how would you answer Q1 at the end? Yeah. Okay. Well, to all those within my voice <laughs> that they can hear me, that are down on yourselves and feeling horrible and in a dark place. I don't how know how to tell you this, and I'll tell you this in all with all the love that I possess, that you are being lied to. That the things that you believe in your head right now about about this addiction and about how it works and about how how you can or cannot overcome it, you are being lied to. That the there's there's an unseen force, an unseen power, which you are very familiar with. And it's Satan, and he is lying to you. He is lying to you every day and telling you that you can't do it and telling you that you're not worth it, that your parents don't care, that your friends don't care, that if, that if someone found out that they would, that they would uh, not be friends with you or not love you anymore or not like you anymore, those are all lies. But the biggest lie is that you're not worth it because you are. You're 100% worth it. You're a son or daughter of God. You are so just 800% worth it. And this program helps you realize who you're fighting. You're not fighting yourself right now. You're fighting a concoction of chemicals that snowballs through your brain, brought on almost entirely by negative feelings, negative emotions, and negative stimuli from Satan and his minions themselves. And so I will say this, that if you want to feel joy and peace and love, and if you want to feel the spirit again coursing through your body, like you do now, if you want to feel that at a greater degree, this program might help you. It helped me, and it changed me to become the person I am now. I'm really grateful for it. And uh, Karen asked me to do what's called a Q1. Q1 is the first question. There's a series of six questions that we ask ourselves every single day, and we analyze these questions in group meeting every week. Now, Q1, or, or question one, is why are you fighting? Why don't you just give up? This is the only question that is asked as if it was Satan himself asking you this. And so I will answer in that way. Why are you fighting? Why don't you just give up? I'm fighting because I'm a son of God. I'm fighting because I love my fiance, and she needs me, and I need her. And I need to have the spirit which be with me, and I need to be a priesthood holder and a righteous priesthood holder in order to preside in my home and be a good person. I need the Spirit to be with me to, to go to the temple and to read my scriptures. And so I can get things out of that to, to make myself feel better and give, give myself joy and, and peace. I am fighting because I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. I love what he has given me. I will never deserve what he always gives me, but I am so grateful that he has given me everything that I have, and he has and he's healed me, and he's helped me become the person that I am. I will never give up because I don't want to be miserable anymore. I don't want the pressing, sinking, hollow, empty feeling that comes from being steeped in this addiction. I don't want anyone besides myself and the Spirit of God controlling my body. I am the master of myself. I am the captain of my soul, and I will never, never be subject to Satan ever again. So that's why I fight, and that's why I won't give up. Beautiful. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for being here. Yeah.